0: Y'all yeah. want to get into the word? Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 21. Our message tonight is called Whatever. Yeah, Whatever. So uh, tonight is uh, November 23rd. It is 2011. Our message is called Whatever. Or as it was often said in my house, whatever, just like that. So, uh, are you all in Genesis 21? Yes. So in Genesis 21, starting in the 22nd verse, it says, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. What an interesting thing. When a man lives a life in such a way that even those who would oppose him, those who might be considered enemies, realize that God is with you in everything that you do. What an amazing compliment paid to the patriarch here. A Philistine monarch and the commander of his forces show up to meet with Father Abraham, And one of the first things they say about him is we can see that God is with you in everything you do. And by the way, if you're going to be in a position where you negotiate with those who see themselves as your enemy, it is wonderful when they only ask you to do the things God has already commanded of you. (laughs) Because what what is Abimelech's major complaint here? Don't deal falsely with me. Swear to me that you won't do that to me or my children. Well, the God that Abraham serves wouldn't let him. Do that anyway. So let's be clear. If you're in a negotiation with one of the Jewish patriarchs, uh, you're going to lose. And secondly, ask for something that God has not already required them to do. Yeah? Have you heard worldwide that Jews are renowned for their business practices? Yeah? Pretty smart folks as a whole. Would you say so? Two of you would say so? Y'all lived in the south too long. What's wrong? You've never been in a major metropolitan area or out of the country? Yeah? Abimelech has started this negotiation from the wrong standpoint. This is something Abraham's already obligated to do. I want to mention that to you because there are times in your life where the Lord will remind you of things that you have already obligated yourself to do. Amen. Stephanie, do you call Jesus Lord? Yeah, so when she says Lord Matthew, what does Lord mean? Own, rule, and so at what point then, if He owns, rules, and controls us, do we get the opportunity to say, I will not do what you say. I will do what I want. When, when do we get that opportunity? Do we get that opportunity, Nolan? Yeah. Never. Sometimes the Lord will put somebody in your life that reminds you of what you have already promised to the Lord. And you must live up to Our God will never hold a man guiltless who breaks his vow. Did you know that Deuteronomy says that? He will hold no man guiltless who breaks his vow. How many of you have pledged your whole lives to the Lord? I want to remind you in the presence of all of the saints and the angels, your life must belong to the Lord. Some perversion of grace, some ridiculous doctrine taught in some other place will not save you. He will hold you to your word. He must be Lord of your life. Watch this. As we move forward, it says, Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart for themselves? Did you notice that in the beginning of the story, Abimelech already knew that God was with Abraham and everything, didn't he? When your life is something that stands out even to those who would call themselves your enemy and they recognize God's presence in it, you know what the next thing they will notice? Is when you sacrifice for the Lord. Because they're watching you. They realize that your life is different. As much as the prosperity gospel has taught people they will notice the blessings in your life. If that's the case, if less gets a million dollars tomorrow, how does that make less any more blessed than, say, Donald Trump? Yeah? But they're not calling necessarily on the same God, are they? So the thing that makes us different is how serious we are about following God no matter what the circumstances are. So God will put you in circumstances intentionally that allow other people to see just how serious you are or are not about following Him. Now if you lived in an area like, I don't know, Beersheba. The southern part of Israel, if you look at the map on the back wall back there, it is uh, not far from the body of water called the Dead Sea. It's dry. It's arid. It's not at all like the map on the other side that is green and beautiful. And maybe the most important thing that you could own if you lived anywhere in this area was water. Because if you don't have water, how long are you going to make it? Yeah, And if your flocks don't have water, how long are they going to make it? And if there's no water to irrigate your crops, how long are they going to make it? You simply cannot live, so water is everything in this area. Let's look what Abraham does with this. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty, a covenant. Abraham, Abraham set apart seven new lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Except these seven lambs from my hand as a witness, I dug this well. What's about to happen to these ewe lambs? Cass says slaughter. Anybody say anything else? Lindsay, what do you think happens to the ewe lambs?
1: I think they get slaughtered.
0: She thinks they get slaughtered too. So we're, we're two on the side of slaughter. You're right. How do dead lambs witness anything? Major events in Bible history, the most major event marking a kind of well, a salvation spot, a place where living water would flow, were marked by the death of something innocent. It was a witness because blood speaks a message before the living God. you remember when Cain killed Abel? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The witness is in the sincerity of the action that is occurring here. And he didn't go get one lamb. He went and got seven. It took seven days to complete, six days to complete the creation in his vast array. And on the seventh day, God rested. One through seven was a perfect time period. One through seven was an act of completeness. He took a complete witness. He poured their blood into the earth in front of a man who would later consider himself an enemy to mark one thing. Life can be found right here. The enemy saw it. I saw it. And God says in front of all these witnesses, it's mine and the blood is the proof. Are you beginning to see a message then? There is a point in time in which you were supposed to have the witness of the blood of Jesus that marked, I found life in this spot. The enemy saw it, you saw it, and it meant that God would be with you in everything and that you would never deal falsely with the people that are around you, but instead you would walk in the faith of your father, Abraham. So that place was called 'er Beersheba. You know, all of the names in the Bible are interesting things. By the way, we're going to try out a new technology here tonight and see if it works. In the Bible, these names are interesting. They mean things that are different than you would think. When we say this word in English, what's that word? Beer. 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 What does that mean to you? This is some kind of barley beverage, isn't it? Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Gabe, what is it? It's delicious, somebody said. (laughs) Whatever you might think about it, beer in English means something different than it means in Hebrew. In Hebrew, beer means, well, as we move on from beer, what is the second part of the word? Sheba. Sheba. Now, Sheba to us sounds like something, I don't know, a woman's name maybe, a, a place that a queen might be from. But in the Bible, this is seven. They marked the southern boundary of Israel as a place called Beersheba. This was the spot where the enemy used to own it. The enemy used to inhabit it. He showed up there with the monarch of the enemy and the warlord of the enemy standing next to him. But our father Abraham said, Because of the witness of the blood, this will not belong to the enemy. He's so frightened of me, and what I might do to him and his children... He witnessed with blood, right here, a perfect covenant, a well of living water. And then he does something else with it. What's that next line say? <laughs> they swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made in Beersheba, Abimelech, and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines, Abraham planted a tamarisk, tree. Tamarisk is not a special tree, but it is an evergreen tree. Evergreen. You see how I put that in green? (laughs) Evergreen, meaning all year long it would witness life. All year long it would say something. There is water beneath me. All year long, whether it was hot, whether it was cold, it would never fail to produce the fruit that was its leaves. Because it had found water. It would be a strange thing to be walking in the desert and see a tamarisk tree growing. You would have to know there was life there. The same way that Abimelech and Paul could look at Abraham and say, wow, God's with him and everything. You could look at a tamarisk tree from a distance and go, there's something special about that. In every situation, no matter where it is, it is always teeming with life. It is verdant. This is the life of a Christian. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, don't, don't fear. It's just a shadow. The enemy can bark at you. He can lie to you. He can try to intimidate you. But no matter where you stand, no matter where you are, the Lord God can make you blessed in everything that you do. Listen now, Abraham said this. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of L-O-R-D in English is a tetratomagram. this is all caps in your Bible it stands for the precious name of God the unspeakable name of God that nobody would say carelessly and this is armed, abbreviated if you will because they didn't want vowels in it Y-H-W-H they said Yahweh the eternal God Now, why eternal here? In Hebrew, the word eternal is olam. Olam shows up all over the place. When we say Malek olam, it is the king eternal. When we say uh, olam haba, this is the world to come or the eternal world, the one that will not end. This is the way the Jews speak of heaven, if you will. They recognize that God's presence is there in heaven, but he is setting up a world that is Olam Haba, the one that is coming upon us that will never fade. When Abraham found this well and he bought it from the enemy with the price of innocent blood, he planted an evergreen tree there that the whole world would know. Water can be found here. And he said, even as this tree is evergreen, I am calling on Yahweh, the Olam El. The eternal God. You know a neat thing about making a treaty with an eternal God? He's not going to die and you have to deal with a successor. Yeah? Forever and ever and ever, God and that blood would be a witness of what happened there. Life for God's people. Turn with me to Genesis 23. We're going to sidetrack for a minute, but we are coming back to that well. There. You guys are very smart. We can change subjects and come back and y'all can lace them together, can't you? Yes. You've had lots of practice with that with your favorite mini-series, haven't you? In Genesis 23, I'd like to talk to you about the valley of the shadow of death. I know you think we should be in Psalm 23 if we're going to talk about that. I'd like to talk to you about the kind of ground the Lord would have you walk through. We live in a time when we're being told that Christianity is about health, wealth, and prosperity. I mean, we'll even sell you vitamins, right? We'll do whatever, you can go collect gold dust and angel feathers and whatever other retarded thing that they can figure out how to sell you with their purple hair and their thrones and their ridiculous sales pitch. Can you tell I'm not much on Christian TV? Okay, if you are, you need to go purge. I mean that in a spiritual way. But you need to do that because all they are pouring into you is the mind of man. It is grotesque. All you got to do is watch two uninterrupted hours and you will find out just how grotesque it actually is. They love the world and the things that are in it and that's all they're teaching the church to do. Men of God are put in places where you hurt. You hurt for the kingdom. But there's an attitude that comes with this. You know, when somebody is really going through a difficult time, but they can smile, they can have joy, they can even go out of the way to help you during that difficult time. It says something about the sincerity of their faith. It's a little bit like finding, I don't know, a well in the middle of a desert. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. You people thought you were getting old, huh? She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. What did he do? He wept over her. Well, of course he did. How long had they been married? It had been decades. Have you ever been there when someone's spouse died? I buried my father three months ago. I'm telling you, this is a difficult, difficult thing. Course, even at his funeral, people were touched for the Lord. Yeah, we are called to be a tamarisk tree right in the middle of the desert. Abraham is broken. This is difficult for him. He did a lot of things with Sarah in his life. He goes on to be fruitful even after her, but not nearly as fruitful as he was with her. God had given him the other half of him to complete a calling. Why do we get married, saints? We get married because it takes two people to complete the calling that God gave the one entity, the one new man. That's the only reason for getting married. If you don't need that, then you should stay single. But tell me, how does Adam go out and multiply? God told him, go multiply. How does he do that? Do you pour water on him after midnight? How do you do that? He needed the other half of him. If you're lucky enough to have a spouse sitting next to you, it's because you need them. If you feel the need for a spouse and you don't have that one sitting next to you, you need to know, even if they died, God is able to provide another. Our king will meet you in the midst of your need. Did you know that Abraham married another woman? He had children with her too. Three of them. A woman named Keturah, but that's not what we're speaking about. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife. Well, that's a scene, isn't it? And spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. What is his one great desire here? He just wants to bury his dead wife. Is that a humble place? Is that a low place? I mean, do you picture him at the zenith of wealth, health, and respect? The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a... What are these words, man? This is so cool. Mighty. What's that next word? Prince. 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 You're going to be surprised at this, I think. Mighty. When you think of mighty, what do you think of? Strong, Strong right? Well, there's a, there's a Hebrew word for mighty, but it's not used here. One of the Hebrew words for mighty is giver. Masa is my son's nickname. Giver Hail means mighty warrior, but that's not the word that's used here. You know what word is behind mighty? Elohim. That's right. The very same word that shows up in Genesis 1.1. When God created the heavens and the earth, it's the same word that is used more than 2,600 times in the Old Testament. Why is it translated Mighty. Because when you speak of God, it's incumbent in his nature. It's already present in his nature that he is mighty. But that is not what the Hittite said to Abraham. This word is literally Elohim Nasai. You are a God-like prince. Or another way to say it, prince of God. Does anybody know what the word Israel means? Prince. With God. See, from Abraham, even the lost people could see something is happening. This guy is walking with the Lord. He's like God in a miniature fashion. Kind of like being like Christ in a miniature fashion. We call that Christian. Christians are not people who believe Jesus is Lord. Christians are people who live like Jesus so they can be called Christ like. That's what Christians are. In the man's lowest hour in his life, they speak to him and say, You are Elohim Nasai, You are a prince of God. What do our people say about us in the lowest moments of our life? I've been to funerals that are supposed to be Christian funerals. And I am telling you, it is wailing and moaning like there is no hope. Now, it hurts, I'm here to tell you my family's experiencing this in wholesale fashion. This will be my first Christmas without my father. It's my first Thanksgiving without my father. We were best friends. All my family has problems. Everybody here knows that. But my dad and I never broke fellowship. During our most difficult hours, we spoke to each other once a week, sometimes even in secret. It hurts to lose our loved ones. Does anybody in here disagree with that? But these men could look at Abraham and say, there's something about you, even in the midst of this. You're like a prince with God. So the Hittites replied to Abraham, sir, listen to us, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Why did Abraham want to bury the dead? That's an interesting thing. I mean, what difference does it make, right? We're leaving this old stinking world behind and just going to heaven, aren't we? I mean, that's what's being taught. Doesn't matter. We're going to go somewhere else in some other place. The father of our faith cared about only one piece of real estate in his lifetime, where his dead would be buried, because he did not believe he was leaving this old stinking world behind and going somewhere else. He believed that it was his job to, to kun haolam, Repair this eternal world. He believed that. He believed it to the extent that the only purchase we know of of land that he made in his lifetime was a place to bury his wife. So at the resurrection, he would know where to find her. Now I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek there. But it is a, it's a testimony. You know why we put gravestones where we put them and why we put them that way? You go find an old cemetery It always faced the east. They never faced any other direction. You know why? Jesus returns east of us. An epitaph on a gravestone. Do you know what it was supposed to be? It was supposed to be not some wise saying. It was a man's favorite scripture. Like, what got them saved? In my case, it would be Matthew 7.21. Right? You bury them facing the east with a scripture above their head so that Everybody in the world would know a body went in the ground here, but it is coming out here forever changed, immortal, in the world to come. Jesus called that eternal life. If you don't make our meetings on Monday night, you uh, are missing out on all kinds of goodness. But I want to tell you, anybody who is there has learned to take such good notes that you probably could get it from them, and that would promote fellowship every other day of the week, wouldn't it? Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar. Not Zohan, that's a different guy. (laughs) On my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of the field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Now how many of you walk in, And I mean, I I recently bought a Suburban, right, Uh, for Jennifer. I did not walk into that place and say, Ha ha, I'm here! Sell it to me for the full price. Why don't we do that? If you did that, they might, I mean, I don't know, possibly take advantage of you, right? (laughs) Is that a stretch of the imagination? Am I the only one that was in the car business in my early days? There we go, Dave, amen, back there. You might get your head taken off if you do that. What do we do? We posture, we position, we get ready to haggle. Abraham did not position himself that way. Now, without making any humorous, stereotypical associations, do you think that that would be normal for a man like Abraham? To not haggle over (laughs) prices? Well, I'll let you think about that one. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all of the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Sounds like these people liked him, huh? Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it here for me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham. Now, before we get to this answer, I I, I need to tell you something. There is a little bit of ancient ceremony here. It's kind of like stand up, Gabe. Come here. Stand. Now. Come. No, no, no. After you. Now, what do you say? No, after you. No, No, really, my friend. After you. Take the best for yourself if you want to be selfish. Go ahead. You understand what I'm saying? There is a kind of, uh, uh, come, my friends. Give me a chance to rip you off. You know, there is something going on here that is in the ceremony of the people. Abraham is fully aware of it because he's a master of negotiations in his day. I promise this. So let's talk about some other prices before we get to this. So when we're thinking of something like, I don't know, the site of the temple, do you know that the site of the temple is the singular most expensive real estate on the planet today? I mean, you might be able to buy even, I don't know, Donald Trump's house if you have enough money, or Bill Gates' house, or Madonna's, or whoever else it might be, but you know what no amount of money will buy? The temple spot. What do you think the temple site sold for originally? I will give you a little hint here. 50 shekels of silver bought Arunas threshing floor. You can find that in 2nd Samuel 24, 24. 50 shekels of silver. Now 1st Chronicles is speaking about the same thing and it says 600 shekels of gold. People have argued for centuries about why there's two differing amounts. Well, they bought more than one thing. There's a threshing floor there. There were cattle there. There was a surrounding area. But the threshing floor itself, 50 shekels of silver. Now, that was around 1,000 B.C. We are in 2,000 B.C. So if you bought a house 100 years ago, would you expect to pay more for it or less for it than now? More. No? No? Come on, if you bought a car in 1950, what would the car cost? Fred, what would a car cost in 1950? Uh, A Cadillac, Fred. About $3,500. About $3,500. I mean, come on, you're going to break the bank with $3,500 for your automobile. Today, I have lived to tell you, $3,500 will buy you a sled without an air conditioner. Okay? $3,500 in 1950, I'm not going to ask you what a Cadillac costs today. But suffice it to say it's a lot more? So in 2000 B.C., should a piece of land be more or less expensive than it would be a thousand years into the future? Well, inflation should make it more in the future and less in the past, would it not? I mean, my daddy used to tell me he went to the movies, picked up his best girl, got popcorn and a Coke for 25 cents. It wasn't 25 cents when Jen and I used to go to the movies. It wasn't. It went up. So what about in Jeremiah's day? What time period did Jeremiah, the prophet, live in? Somewhere around 600 B.C. You could buy a field, just a regular field, in 600 B.C. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, for 17 shekels. How about that? 50 shekels for the threshing floor of Aruna, 17 shekels for a regular field. Now understand, the difference in those prices is understandable. One is just a field. The other is the place you're going to build the temple of God. Let's see what this guy wants to sell Abraham the burial plot for. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels. About 10 pounds of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Can you imagine? You know, it just depends on who you're reading as to what they say, but at least twice as much as it's worth, probably many, many, many times what it's worth. It's at his lowest power. They see he's a man of God. They call him a prince of God. And then, since he's insisting on paying the full price, they inflated it a few thousand percent. What would you do? Did you see throwing down your stuff and saying, I can't believe you insulted me like this? My wife's dead body's right here. You're going to treat me like that? Look at how Abraham handled this. Abraham agreed to Ephraim's turn and waited out for him the full price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. It goes on to say he deeded it to him in front of everybody. When you know that you're called of God and you know what you're called to do, sometimes you can look at dramatically unfair circumstances and go, whatever. You know what? You do your best to hurt me. You almost can't do it. You know why? God is going to bless me. And the same measure that you've used, he He will use for you. And you can walk away at peace with the people who just extorted you. Because it is not possible to stop the call of God on your life. Now, Isaac learned all kinds of things from Abraham, but I'd like to show you this kind of whatever principle in Isaac's life. Turn with me to Genesis 26. Are you all done with me or would you like to learn some more? I feel kind of like we're just starting, you know. And the kids going to have school tomorrow. (laughs) In Genesis 26... I won't take you through the first 11 verses. That was something that Isaac learned from Abraham that was not too good. You know, when Abraham ran into Ahimelech and he said, you know, Sarah's my sister, that was a half-truth. You got me? Because she was kind of his half-sister, but she was also his wife, which was the more important detail. What is it when Isaac says Rebekah is his sister to Ahimelech? That's a full-blown lie. I mean, Abraham might have stretched the truth a little bit, but Isaac, there's no truth in the discussion. So you're going to pass along something to your children. Let's pray that it is the second uh, half of this chapter and not the first. Are you on the 12th verse? 26, 12. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold. What an interesting term, hundredfold. Where have you heard that before? Do you recognize the term 30? 60 and a hundred-fold. It seems kind of like we preached about that just a few weeks ago. If I said 30, 60, what would you expect to come next, you mathematical geniuses? 90. 90. 90. That is like an unexpected, unimaginable return on the investment. This man is producing a hundred-fold return on what he planted. People of faith can receive things that boggle the imagination. Because they are for the kingdom. When you seek the kingdom, everything that you need is added to you. Do you know why Isaac needed a hundredfold return? Because Isaac is going to raise Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is going to produce a great nation. They needed to have something to start with. Do any of you have 12 children and a daughter? 12 boys and a daughter? Nobody in here has that? How many of you think that the children you do have are expensive? Yes. <laughs> All right, how about grandchildren? Are grandchildren expensive? Well, theoretically, no, because mom and dad carry the weight, right? Yes. But the reality is, grandparents spend a lot of money on grandkids, don't they? Yes. How many grandkids did Isaac have? There's a great math question for you you go count them in scripture you might be surprised at the answer and that doesn't include his nieces and nephews are you aware that uh ishmael isaac's half brother also had 12 sons did you know that and god only knows how many kids they had this was a big family yeah so a hundredfold isaac planted crops in the land in that same year reaped a hundredfold because the lord blessed him The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. I thought that that would just be the witness of God in his life, right? I mean, that's what I hear the uh, prosperity pimps, I mean, preachers on TV say. That they will look at your wealth and they will want to be godly because of your wealth. That's not what it says here says they envied him. So all of the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. This was life-giving water to the people of God, and in an arid desert region. And what were the Philistines doing? They were stopping up the wells. Could that frustrate you? So Isaac moved away, I'm sorry, uh, filling them up with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. (coughs) Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names, his father had given them. What did they stop it up with? Earth. Earth. If these wells represent life-giving water, if they represent salvation, do you remember in John seven thirty-seven, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come and drink of me. you remember that? That would make Jesus kind of like the spring of living water. Jeremiah 17, 26 says, If you forsake the spring of living water, God will write your name in the dust. Do you remember in John 8, Jesus wrote people's names in the dust who had forsaken him? I know y'all know all that already. That's why we're not taking the time to read it. How do people stop up the well of salvation today? They fill it with earth. They fill it with more flesh, more dirt, more man. This is when we stand up as the fellowship of carnal athletes. I meant to say Christian athletes. And we say... If you serve Jesus, you can be a great athlete like me. It's when we stand up in our businessmen's associations and say, if you serve Jesus, you will be rich like me. If you tithe, you can have the jaguar that I have out there. This is filling up the well of salvation with dirty (coughs) earth. Let me ask you, what marked that well of salvation? Great, perfect sacrifice, blood of the Lamb, an everlasting tree showing the way to life not earth earth is what you had to dig out of it to get the actual water once you shove that stuff in it you can't even find the water anymore it is muddy in my feeling my spiritual perception for whatever it's worth i assume you're not here because you hate me i believe that the enemy has managed to stop up the well of salvation so that it has become so carnal in the average american christian place of worship that we don't even know what clear water looks like we don't hear the blood the perfect sacrifice crying out to us to say go further we don't see the tree of life marking the well of salvation instead the best we can do is hope for our best life now and to become champions and live like every day is friday earth 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 and what do we want to do when we die Leave the earth. We lived in it all of our life, but now we want to leave it. What if Christianity is more about renovating this earth, making it new? What if it is about hollowing out a place so that God's life-giving water can fill that void? Am I the only one in here that's had a void in my life? Joshua, do you know what it is to have a void in your life? Yeah, I do too. And you know what? I didn't want to know what people had to say. I simply wanted to know what God had to say. The problem is, I didn't know anybody that knew what God had to say. So I opened the Bible, and he began to speak to me. You know why I'm trying to get the church to read through the Bible? He will speak to you. It's a well of living water. A man asked me how to be saved in my living room the other night. I'm a pastor, less I'm supposed to know how to be saved, right? So what do we do? It's so, Ray, Ray, it wasn't good. Ray, come on down here, man. Three steps. Bam, bam, bam. Saved. <laughs> Repeat after me. It's like a magic prayer, you know. you got a magic bean too. You want to buy it? You be a USDA certified Christian. Get your stamp on your forehead, man. Nine, nine, nine. Don't turn upside down. <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted. I said, like, hey, you know what? I pray with you to be saved. I felt the Spirit come out of me. I said, you know what? You'll be the first one to know when you're saved. Go seek the face of God. I believe if that man gets saved, he will know it when he's saved. So, but how could you? Why didn't you close the deal, Eric? It's like, I mean, like we're salesmen or something. Mm -hmm. Earth, earth, earth. You don't need somebody to close the deal. If you're hungry for the Lord, what did Jesus say? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled filled. and filled. Ask and you will knock and it will be open. Seek and you will find. We don't need somebody to sell us anything. Turn on the TV and tell me that that's not all they're doing is selling. They're just selling. We've reduced the gospel to a means for financial gain. Selling. We might as well have some holy relics. You know, get a toenail of a saint or something. He was reopening the wells that had been dug, he was naming them the ancient names. The ancient names had to do with their function. The function of those wells was to bring life, to mark perfect covenants. What was the one that Abimelech and Phicol met with Abraham to go over? Beersheba, the well of seven, the well of the oath, it can be translated, because seven was the perfect oath. Well, let's read what happens. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's men and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so they named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. (laughs) He named it Rehoboeth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Whose wells were they? Abraham dug them. Abraham done those wells and he was re-opening them. Now he's out and everywhere he's opening a well that rightfully belongs to him and the treaty marks it. What do the people do? That one's ours. That one's ours. You got to that one's ours too. The one you're going to find tomorrow, that one's ours. You know, it's like when you ask somebody, you know, hey, uh, man, I'm moving. Uh, you think you could help me? Oh, I'm busy that day. Wait, I didn't tell you what day. I was moving. You know, even before we find The well is ours. But what does Isaac do? He just moves on and says, Whatever. Dude, you can have it. I will go get another one. Because the blessings of God follow my life. I don't have to fight with you over these things. Everything my Father is giving me. Whatever I need. We're not going to quibble over these things. Have it. You can have the next one, and the next one, and the next one. But you remember what you do to me. God's going to do to you. So friends, let's not fight. We can be blessed. This is what caused Abraham to say, Lot, dude, you pick the direction you want to go. How'd that turn out for Lot? But it turned out just fine for Abraham, didn't it? When we fight and quarrel to get what we think we need, we're only going to get what we think we need. And how many times have you been wrong before? I watched a church of a couple hundred people. It could have split. That would have been bad, right? Then there would be a church of 100 and a church of 100. Everybody fought for what they needed. One couple got cast out. There's 200 strong and two gone. Get what we need. Of course, the church dwindled down to about 30 people over 10 years. Wouldn't it have been better to just say, Brother, pick your direction and go. We'll all be blessed. See, we are convinced we have to fight for what? need. I'm telling you the blood is crying out from the ground. It all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. Relax. Just go and be with God in any direction and He will bless you. Isn't that what they originally said about Abraham? Let's see where we get with this. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there. There he called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Before we see anything else here, where did he build an altar? At Beersheba. There was already righteous blood crying out from the ground. This whole place belongs to us. But watch what the enemy does. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar. And Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. You know, when Abimelech came to meet with Abraham, he just brought his warlord. When he came to meet with Isaac, he brought his warlord and his advisor. I think Abimelech is feeling a little peaked in his old age, isn't he? Four on one. How's this negotiation going to go? Let's see. Meanwhile, Ben-let came, verse 27. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. Isn't that what they said to his father? <laughs> I wonder if good kids just fall out of the sky. Just a blessing. You know? I just prayed my kids would be blessed. Really? Did you do anything to make them blessed? Or like one lady spoke, don't you speak that over me. Lady, I'm not speaking it over you. Your whole life is living it over you. You know? I don't have to speak gravity over you. If you step out of a plane, it's going to act on you. What are we doing to make sure that our children know how to walk with the Lord? Isn't that something we're thinking about? So we said there ought to be a sworn agreement between us. Between us and you, let us make a treaty. Wasn't there already a treaty at Beersheba? Wasn't there already a well at Beersheba? If there's not a well at Beersheba today, right there, during this time, why is it not there? Who stopped it up? They did. Didn't they promise not to stop it up? And the last time that it was stopped up and Abraham emptied it, they go, we didn't know of it. We, we found out only today. We would never, if anybody molests this man, if anybody, you know. This is what the enemy does. He is a liar. He will break covenants. He will never do for you the things that he has promised. But our God is faithful. And even if the enemy is a liar, when we walk with our God, what we find out is that he cannot steal from you enough to outdo God's blessing in your life. Isaac didn't go fight for Beersheba. He's just given up a couple other wells. And watch what happens here. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm. Why would they think that Isaac was going to harm them? Because that's what they intended to do to him. Didn't they bring a warlord and a personal advisor and a king just to meet with him? Just as we did not molest you but always treated you well and sent you away in peace, Now and now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast. Is this the way that we respond to people who have broken their covenants with us, that have cheated us, that have insinuated we want to hurt them when really what they were doing was planning to hurt us? Do we go make them a feast? When's the last time you read Matthew 5? (laughs) You know, Matthew 5 has some interesting commentary on this. Why don't you keep your finger here? You, you can turn to Matthew 5 since nobody stood up to quote it from memory. Uh, why don't we just turn to Matthew 5. Would that be okay with y'all? Y'all you all? Are you all tired? You want to go home? Matthew five forty three. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Isn't that just beautiful religious language? But what do you do when they stop up your well, When they steal your inheritance? When they break their covenant with you and then show up with their lawyer and their warlord and a monarch and you're standing there all alone having already moved three times to keep from offending them? Well, if you're a man of God, You can throw a party. Is that difficult to do? If you don't think yes, then you've either never experienced anything like this or you're just going to lie in church. Mm -hmm. Of course it's difficult. In fact, probably requires you to die just a little bit. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Father, as your Heavenly Father, is perfect. One thing Isaac had seen is he had seen his daddy go whatever, even at the place where he has to bury his wife. He'd pay four, five, ten times what was needed for it because he knew that God would bless him. He was not concerned with quibbling over the details. That's not a bad steward. That's somebody that says some things are not worth fighting over. I'm going to fight to be in the Lord's presence. I'm going to fight to do what He tells me I'm not going to fight for things like food, clothes, and money. Because when you do, they become your master. If anything has mastered the American church, it is those things. You know why? When we talk about taking the gospel into other nations, we respond with things like, but it's not safe. And what does that mean, it's not safe? Does it mean you can't go in an armored SUV? What does it mean, it's not safe? I've been in something like seven countries in the last few years. I haven't been robbed in any of them. We've been robbed in this church parking lot. Been robbed at Chili's. Been robbed in Matthew's driveway. That was all in this land of safety. When we talk about really doing something for the Lord, immediately we get scared we won't have enough because we don't have enough around us already, right? Right? I've seen church done with thatch roofs, <clears throat> dirt floors, no sound system or the worst sound system. They've never seen AC in their lives. All oh, their sick got healed. Who do you think really missing out? Us or them? See, we need to develop a kind of whatever spirit. I think we're too contentious about the things we have or don't have. We spend all day long fighting <laughs> with your roommates about who stole your dress. Or you could just go on feeling blessed for the dresses that they didn't steal that you have and trust that God will give you what you need. Am I preaching to anybody out here? See, the gospel really is simple, but it is so simple that it is incredibly difficult to do. It is such a simple thing to say, Gabriel, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Right? It takes no doctorate to understand that. But to actually carry it out, well, couldn't I just give some money to the church or something, you know? Wouldn't that make me a good person? Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Put your finger in Genesis and turn to Psalms. You probably have this hanging somewhere in your house. Isn't it good when we hang religious artifacts in our house? I mean, I don't know. You could put Prayer of Jabez up there. What else could we do? We could... I don't know, we could hang the 23rd Psalm in our house. I mean, isn't that beautiful? I mean, just the prettiest little song you ever heard. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, we can hang it on our walls. We can say, isn't that beautiful? Thomas Kincaid painted that. (laughs) Isn't it marvelous? Let's all stand and stare at it for a while. Or... In my house, we had the Lord's Prayer, and we had the 23rd Psalm, and it was on this, like, uh, bronzed book. Nobody in my family read the Bible. I I, I, Maybe that's why we bronzed it. (laughs) And so, it was sitting there. And uh, there was a third one. It was that, uh, uh, Lord grant me the sincerity to accept. Yeah, really? I mean, because there was nothing good in the Bible you could put on it? Uh, Okay, whatever. So, it's there. And man, it was beautiful. As a kid, I got in trouble for throwing a football on the house and knocking it over. You know what we never did? We never take the time to make sure that that beautiful religious artifact was anywhere inside of our lives. How about this verse, guys? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where is he when he says that? In the valley of the shadow of death. You can be in the middle of a desert and people are stopping up your wells. They're stealing from you. They're breaking their oaths and their treaties, and you can say, No, God's goodness is gonna follow me all the day. You know what i would do for you guys? You wanna steal from me? Here, let me help you carry the stuff. Could I feed you on your way out? Could I get you a glass of water? Because you know why? Our treasure is not found in the abundance of our possessions. You know, you think that I'm just preaching. You know me. Aren't I kind of learning this right now? Yes. I mean, am I preaching about something that I'm not experiencing at all? Yeah, I'm truthfully happier with less. You know why? I get to do more. State Farm gave us some money for the truck. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah.
1: Wouldn't
0: the most natural thing in the world be to go get another one? But then what would I have another truck? You know what I want? I want to go around the world for the gospel. I want you to build churches all over the earth. So we put the money in the church account. Because this is not where my treasure is in the abundance of our stuff. And if the enemy stopped up that way, I figure God will raise up another one. Amen. This is the gospel, friends. And you know what? I told the pastor today what was happening. He said, man, wouldn't you like to have been out there with a shotgun? Talking to with somebody? No. No, I'm really disappointed it distracted me from praying for the people in here. That's not because I'm Mr. Holy. Why would you want to shoot somebody for taking stuff? This is where our hearts are, they don't they? We'd kill somebody for taking our stuff. Aren't we called to die for them? See, What is Christianity? Is it this ridiculous sham that's on TV where you pay 30 bucks for their message that teaches you how to get fatter? Happier? Richer? Because you're not in enough of any of those things now, right? That's what Jesus came to do, was make you fat, rich, dumb. That's what he came to do, huh? Happy every day? Why not go be a cocaine addict and be all of those things? Actually, it's hard to get fat on cocaine, but you understand what I'm saying? I mean, what's the difference? If God is only present in your life to give you lots of junk, then what kind of God is that? I believe that there is a perfect sacrifice calling out to us from the ground. I think that a perfect, innocent lamb died for us. I think that he marked the way to eternal life, and it was free from earth. It was a pure, clean, fresh water well. It was a perfect place. I think our father Abraham's life marked it. That's why we're in the faith of Abraham. That's why Jesus is a son of David, who is a son of Abraham. That is why he's the king of kings, our Jewish Messiah. And here we are, not Jews, at least none of you that I know, in the United States, a bunch of pork-eating Gentiles, and we call him great. Because perfect God marked the well of salvation. Isaac made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath. That was about as good as a napkin that you throw away. Hadn't they already sworn an oath? That didn't seem to phase Isaac. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. Do you realize that Isaac made peace with these people before it worked out? He didn't even know. They've been stopping up his wells. They've been stealing the ones that are reopened. And he made peace with them before he even found out that where he sacrificed, he was going to get water from. Because he didn't much care. He figured God would bless him. This is the same attitude that Abraham took Isaac up on a mountain and said, Okay, Lord, I'll kill him. I'll kill him even though you promised he's the one who's going to bring about the Messiah. I'll kill him because if I kill him, you must be going to raise him from the dead. This is the kind of undeterrable, persistent, tenacious faith that the people of God are called to have. Stop up my wells, I'll dig more. I dig more and you steal them. It's okay, I'll move on. You break your oaths with me, yes, I'll make another oath with you because no matter what you do to me, my life is in God's hands. Or the alternative is, you can own your own life, you can fight every time somebody wrongs you, and you can be just like the people of the world, and Jesus says you will lose your life. I think that the kingdom of heaven is found best in the hearts of men who have already died to this world. You know how you know you haven't died to it? When everything about it, you still feel an attachment to. If this was your last week to live, how important would the things that are important to you now be? This is not a preacher's trick. I'm not telling you it's your last week to live. I'm not about to say with every head bowed and every eye closed, one of you cowards raise a pinky. I'm not going to do it. This is not a salesman's game. But what I'm asking you is what would be different if this was your last week to live. <clears throat> Because you were supposed to die in Christ already. What if we sold our possessions? What if we went around the world for the gospel? What if we gave to anyone who is in need without concern? What if we actually did the things in the Bible? Do you think anyone would notice? I kind of did. I'm not disappointed at how bad the religious world around us has gotten. I'm happy they're dimming the lights so that we can shine brighter. I believe that there is a day coming in this country where you will shine like the brightness of the heavens simply by living an authentic Christian life. Of course, you can't wait till then to live it or you might be a part of the darkness, huh? That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a well they had dug. They said, we have found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of that town has been Beersheba. See, some great man of God lays a foundation. He hopes others will build on it, but sometimes the enemy comes in and stops it up with earth. So he calls other men of God to come. Reopen the wells. And there's contention with the enemy. Sometimes you can't be here. Did you know that this year we moved from one place to another? Did we move because we just wanted to? Did somebody steal from us when we moved? Yes. To the tune of $32,000. Yeah, But are we blessed here?
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. You see how this works? Should we be sitting around right now crying about the man that stole money from us? No, there's a righteous judge. There's a righteous judge. I don't even have to worry about it. (coughs) I'd like to even forget his name and what he looked like. You know? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If we move in the blessings of God, you cannot go wrong. I'd like to read to you one last thing. Is that fair? I mean, that's like one last thing. That's okay? Does it bother you that it's a whole chapter (coughs) of the Bible? (laughs) Good. It's Romans. It's the 12th chapter. I think Romans 12 probably makes the point better than any of my preaching did, but then how would you get to learn all that about ancient wells? Tell me when you're in Romans 12. I just wanted to write something else. That's kind of neat, isn't it? Gay Mays told me I could do this a long time ago. I didn't believe him, but he was right. Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Isn't that kind of a contradiction in terms? Living sacrifices. It's a little bit like parking on a driveway and driving on a parkway. You know, that term doesn't make sense at all. A living sacrifice. This means kind of that you live to die the next moment perpetually. And how do I die the next moment perpetually? By always saying, hey, friend, it's okay. Let's not be contentious. You pick the direction you would like to go. I'll die to my desire. Because no matter what direction I go, God is with me." It's a little bit like saying, you just kind of stomped all over the work I was trying to do for God. You filled it with earth, but you know what? I will move right over here and I'll do it again. And over here and do it again. And you know what? The work of God can't be stopped Anyway. How frustrating that must be for the enemy that every time he stops up a well, another one pops up. Living sacrifice. You've heard all the corny, cliche things about, oh, the problem with the living sacrifice is it wants to crawl off the altar. Well, all of that's true, but you know what's worse? Is we can call ourselves a living sacrifice and never have even been on the altar. Oh, well, I died with Christ. Good, name one time. Name one time. when somebody punch you in the face for the gospel? When somebody spit on you? When did somebody steal from you? When did somebody falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of the gospel? Because this is the normal Christian life. Could it be that we're just playing nice and making treaties? When you're dangerous to the enemy, I want to tell you he will strike you. Isn't that the prophecy in Genesis 3? He will strike you on the heel, then what will you do? We were not called to play nice with the enemy. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. You know, I love to go to that church. All those brothers, that worship is just marvelous, you know. Really, what are we talking about as worship? Oh, well, the stringed instruments and the horn section and the choir. No, our spiritual act of worship is to present our bodies, members of our bodies, toes, knees, elbows, head, all of it to the Lord. Oh, I love that church. Their worship is wonderful. That's not even possible, friends. How does a building do any of those things? But if the church is the people and their worship is wonderful, that would be a building where every single person, a hundred percent of the time, was offering over the members of their body to death that others might live. The amazing thing is that people who do that often don't die. You know, Remember I read you about John Gibson Patton? He went to an island full of cannibals, converted them all. He was trying to to give his life away. He couldn't do it. It probably didn't taste good. (laughs) Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Why does he say any longer? Because that's all you ever did your whole life before Jesus, is conform to the pattern of this world. You wore what other people thought was cool. You listened to whatever kind of music you thought was cool and as long as it wasn't so different from everybody else that they made fun of you for it. Everybody's searching to be unique while being sufficiently the same. You know? Really amazing thing. We spent our whole lives conforming to the pattern of this world and now in the church, there's a demonic force trying to take us back to that. Those who protect their lives. Those who love themselves. Those who are selfish. Those who look out for me and mine that is the devil and I don't care what form it comes in it is the devil our king called us to give our life away he said if they treat me like this how are they going to treat you that's what we're called to another pastor I spoke with today said brother I feel like Swiss cheese I've had so much shot at me I said good for you means your life is dangerous to the enemy did you expect it to be a bed of roses he laughed and said no I never did you know Then he encouraged me for a while while I cried on his shoulder. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm not going to camp on this too long, but if you don't read his word, you won't know what his will is. You can't renew your mind without reading his word. You know what else? You're supposed to know his will. You hear me? It's not my job to know his will for you. I sometimes do, praise God, but it's not my job. You know whose job it is for you to know God's will for your life? It's yours. You know how you know His will for your life? Be fully submitted to Him and renew your mind with His word. I'm tired of hearing from people, I'm just searching for God's will. You cannot search for God's will for 10 years. Either His word is lying or you're lying. Why don't you find it and do it? Why don't you start with what he has shown you? Really? I just don't know how to do that. Put one foot in front of the other and watch obedience follow. Then you'll be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. Very difficult not to function, to, to picture this as kind of a quadriplegic. The body of Christ. Every one of us is a member of the body of Christ. Have you ever thought about that in any depth? If every one of us is a member of the body of Christ and one of us sits on our butt for an entire year, what does that mean about the body of Christ? It's like, okay, let's fight. Anybody want to go dig a well? How about now? (laughs) How long is the body of Christ going to have half of their sleep? See, this is why 12 men solely committed to the kingdom could change the world. Just solely committed to the kingdom, changed the world. They didn't need money. They didn't need anything else, just 12 men solely committed to the kingdom. Anything stolen from them, God could replace. Anything done to them, God could heal. Just needed to be solely committed to the kingdom. But you could have 12,000 that are half asleep and not doing the will of God. Nothing happens. So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given of us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. It's worth saying. How many of you spent some time in prayer today hoping that the Lord would speak a word to you tonight for everyone else? We often go to church hoping to hear a word. Who goes to church hoping to give a word? Oh, That's my job, right? It's what you people pay me for. Except you don't pay me, and it's not my job. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil. Claim to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Here's a good litmus test. Are you more in love with Jesus today, Steph, than you were a year ago? Are you more in love, Mario, today with Jesus than you were a year ago? Are you keeping your spiritual fervor or is it waning? Are you getting too old and too wise? Do you know so much now about Jesus that you're just not excited about him anymore? That's what happens when your level of education outpaces your level of obedience. It's being bloated spiritually. Oh, we know everything and do nothing. Guilty, guilty, guilty. I want to go open wells for people. I want to go remind people that righteous blood was shed here. I want to dust off the tamarisk tree and say, This is always. Life. I want to look in the face of five Paul and laugh and say, you can break the treaty, it makes no difference to me. Can I cook you another meal? Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Oh, Christians get that. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Apparently you don't get it right the first time. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony, or another way to say this, shalom with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room. For God's wrath. Do you realize that when Abraham made a treaty, when he paid for land twice what it was worth, five times what it was worth, then when Isaac allowed them to take a well and moved on, when he let them renew a treaty they had already broken and all of those things, do you know that he wasn't just forgetting about it? He's making just a little more room. Just a little more room. Just a little more room. Let me get all the way over here so God can deal with you. But if Isaac goes to deal with them, if Abraham goes to deal with them, then you'll only get what you can do. Are you leaving any room for God to deal with people or are you making sure you do it all yourself? Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, when we hold grudges, when we hold defenses, when we do all of those things that I prophesied to you about during our worship service, we're stealing from God. We're stealing because that is His job. The only people He keeps a record of sins for are those that do not get it right with Him and friends. It's such a long list that the Bible says, and the books were opened. There's one Lamb's book of life, but there are books containing deeds he is going to repay we don't have to if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head do not overcome do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good it's funny I heard the New Testament was the age of grace and the Old Testament was wrath How much wrath did Abraham show? How much wrath did Isaac show? They left all the room for the Lord. I want to encourage you, Saints, you're going to be sitting at tables tomorrow. You're going to see people in these next couple months that you don't always see. You might even have to face some of your neighbors, God forbid. The ones you're supposed to love. We do not need to repay, we do not need to show revenge. We don't need to talk about all the times they stopped up our wells. We don't need to talk about all the treaties that they broke. Make them a feast. God's already got track of everything else. Our job is to be the opener of wells, not to keep track of who stopped them up. Yeah? Tell me that's not a good word as we go meet our families.